Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have Scott Myers with Self Storage Investing and Scott Flynn from Fishers, Indiana to talk about how he's acquired 14,000 doors and 2.4 million square feet of storage space. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer for some of the top wholesalers in the country and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. Question I get all the time is how to become a millionaire and the information on this podcast alone is enough for you to become a millionaire in the next five to seven years if you will take consistent action you will become one. If you want to get there faster, send me a message on Instagram and we'll see if we can help you get there just a little bit faster. If you get value out of this show, please tag a friend below or share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And we do have a Black Friday special, so do tune in tomorrow and Friday to check out what we have in place for you guys. This is a live show, so please ask your questions for Scott to answer. You ready? I am ready, Steve. All right. Oh. Uh, so first question is, what got you into real estate? You know, I think uh, probably like uh, many folks, uh, they wanted to own their own business. Uh, mine in the beginning was really just kind of a hedge against uh, retirement in through Wall Street. Uh, I think everybody tells you when you are planning for retirement, you buy stocks and bonds, and uh, you, you play through Wall Street. And uh, after reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, I realized that was probably not the, the best way to go. So Yeah, I don't know if that's a scam. That might be too strong of a word, but I think there's some improperly set expectations with that. Uh, absolutely, uh, yeah, because it is not passive like buying a stocks <laughs> or bonds, but yeah. uh, I started buying uh, single family houses and then got into apartments and then uh, eventually into uh, self storage. But uh, along the way, I always uh, felt that, yeah, I, I did not want to be uh, beholden to uh, Wall Street and their returns and not being able to meet the person who is making those decisions on behalf of my investments, whereas with self-storage, yeah. uh, as we know in real estate, you know, you get to meet the manager. Um, you know, you walk down the stairs and you have a meeting with them and you know exactly where your money's going and the decisions that are being made. Right. So let's talk about your very first real estate deal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When was that? So this was 1993, and it was a uh, single-family house. And uh, so this was back in the day. Steve, you may not remember, or, or you may not have run across this, but it was a VA assumable loan that we had. There's, I think there's hardly any of those left out there. Right. So I assumed the loan. I didn't have to worry about my credit uh, because I just uh, took over the loan, and I had enough money that I, I, did a, um, I took out a, a refinance on my own home, took out a home equity loan. That provided the down payment, and then I followed the Carlton Sheets uh, program of mm -hmm. Re rehabbing it, refinancing it, um, taking money out, and then uh, renting it out, and then moved on to the next and the next after that. So when you say Carlton Sheets, were you saying that in jest or in reality? Like that's who you were learning in, in from? In reality, yeah, that's who I was. But it always uh, gets uh, laughs out of people because uh, everybody kind of goes back to the old grainy uh, video days when he was on the beach talking to his successful folks. But uh, if you follow the practice, you know, if it, you do the work, if you do the work, it's a good foundation. Yeah. Okay. So. Do you did you start with Carlton Sheets and then you find your first property or you find your first property and then you looked out for Yeah, I think I was uh, learning about real estate through Carlton Sheets and reading a few other books. So did you, at the time. was it like you saw him on an infomercial or I think I did. I saw him on an infomercial and then I bought his home study system. So yeah. I went online and I ordered, probably not online, I probably called the phone, uh, <laughs> called on the phone and, uh, and had the system ordered yeah. and shipped to the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, I look today like social media on Instagram, on Facebook and mm -hmm. whatever is kind of like today's version mm -hmm. of the 2 a.m., 3 a.m. infomercials. Absolutely, absolutely, without a doubt. When, when people are looking, you know, hopefully the teacher will appear and that's, yeah. how, that's what happened in my case. Yeah, okay, so you did your first deals mm -hmm. with houses. Mm -hmm. Clearly you didn't finish only doing single family right. uh, residential, so mm -hmm. what, we said, what was after single family? Mm -hmm. So we did. Uh, we had about 70 single family houses and then uh, didn't really have the, the freedom and the cash flow that we, well, that Carlton had talked about. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of tenants and toilets. So I thought, well, okay, better way to skin this cat is to get economies of scale and started buying apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then assuming managers and management companies uh, would uh, handle that and spread the risk and, and diversify a bit, uh, only to find that we had more tenants and toilets. And uh, even though we had management companies, you know, the, the buck stops here and, and mm -hmm. we were still writing the checks and making those uh, decisions. So so you had managers, but mm -hmm. it was not hands off. It's uh, not it hands never free. is. It never yeah. is. Uh, it's not mailbox money by any stretch. And so yeah. we had about 400 apartments uh, and 70 houses at that point and then um, realized, well, that was really about the time that um, the uh, 1999 to 2000, the dot-com crash, that recession, mm -hmm. uh, really what happened after that, the Community Reinvestment Act that the administration put in place, um, which allowed everybody to buy a house, right? whether they could fog a mirror and um, you know, walk deal. into the bank and uh, yeah. roll all their debt in, they could buy a house while well, all our tenants were leaving in droves, and who could blame them? It was the first time in history that uh, oh, they could buy okay. a house. Oh, okay, so because of the massive adjustments mm -hmm. in financing, 
mm-hmm. a lot of the tenants that you had in place are no longer your tenants. Correct. They were leaving and buying houses, and so we were we were making that switch of selling the apartments, and then uh, but really now after doing you know a rehab on the houses not as nice as you would for a retail mm-hmm. sale um, but now we had to redo it again and do you know do another a second rehab on these homes um, get, to get ready for a retail sale since the market had shifted so we were selling those off oh so not only off. were your tenants in your apartments leaving but mm-hmm. all the ho- people that were renting the houses you need to mm-hmm. rehab again to sell correct correct Got and it. that puts a little strain on the cash flow and on our, our uh, capital and so mm-hmm. at this point i realized that uh probably best that uh, i don't want to be beholden to those cycles in real mm-hmm. estate and the challenges of tenants and toilets. So we yeah. looked around the landscape and it's either parking lots or self-storage if we want to be in real estate without tenants. Mm-hmm. And um, there's not a lot of value to be created in parking lots and that's how we landed in self-storage. Can't really force the appreciation. No, not much. You not can much force you can other people to build around you, but that's about it. Correct, that's it, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when did you start self-storage? Mm-hmm. 2005 is uh, when we bought our first self-storage uh, facility and that was that was actually a, 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 an industrial building. It was a, a flex building that we added storage to mm-hmm. it and saw how the model began to work and then i really did a deep dive into you know learning about the business and then bought my first true 100 percent self-storage facility in 2006 uh, with a partner got it so right now you know you look at self-storage there's only a handful of people out there but it seems like a lot of arrows point to you mm-hmm. uh were you the pioneer or you just did more than it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was the best kept secret. I don't think anybody wanted to let it out. <laughs> and so I was looking for, you know, somebody to really walk us down that path. And there, there you know, there really wasn't a, dare I say, Scott Myers, or there wasn't, a, you know, anybody teaching it. There was mm-hmm. consultants, and you could go to the associations and their annual meetings, but there wasn't anybody who was a, you know, a guru per se, or, or somebody that was teaching people how to do it, walking down the path from A to yeah. Z. So I had to learn that on my own. So how did you learn on your own? <clears throat> Uh, going to those shows and then talking to the people and mm-hmm. just, you know, they were in the business and saying, asking them, what did you like best about the business? What don't you like about the business? How did you get started? And then um, finally, when we were getting ready to pull the trigger, you know, there are, there's more commas and zeros in commercial real estate. So I did hire a consultant and um, spent a day with him, making sure my business plan was solid and, and looking at my pipeline and the deals that I had. And then uh, still was reaching out to him and contacting him from time to time to make sure that I crossed my uh, T's and dotted all my I's. Right. So... You start doing your first deals mm-hmm. in self-storage. Mm-hmm. Where were some things you learned that you did not know going into it? Yeah. So, you know, in, in commercial real estate, in apartments, self-storage is very, very similar. You know, working with the, in terms of underwriting and getting down to, drilling down to an NOI and a cap rate. So the valuation piece was very similar. What I didn't understand or know was um, all of the income streams and then all of the expense items. So if a broker were to present something to me in the beginning, uh, I assumed that all the expense items uh, were accounted for. And so only to find out that there was a few that were hidden. And, uh, you know, fortunately, we didn't make any grave mistakes before mm-hmm. we actually bought anything. But uh, it is a little different animal. And then I There were some the disclosure man- challenges. There were some disclosure challenges, uh, yes, <laughs> uh, so to speak. And that, that, that goes for any form of real estate, uh, yeah. just knowing to dig in. But then really the operation side, um, it is a different animal. It, it operates more like retail. Uh, than renting out units where somebody is looking in habitational real estate uh, for a neighborhood, you know, or you know, you know, what is around it, proximity to you know anything and everything. Whereas with storage, it's really more of a commodity and it's needs based. You need to answer the phone. It needs to be clean. Mm-hmm. It needs to be secure. It needs to be priced right. And then you know if it checks those boxes and um, you make it accessible and easy for someone to rent a unit online or by the phone, you're going to get the business. Okay, so let's take a step back here. You're talking mm-hmm. about operation. You said it's more like retail. So we said. Well, you know, many po- folks in the industry call it a store, you know, at the store because there is a an office that uh, is in the front so of the So when you say it's more like retail, it's mm-hmm. like going in and like buying a laptop. Yeah, it is. Um, the the process is, is so simple and because it is more like a commodity, mm-hmm. you know, that we have kiosks in our facility. Movie at a Redbox rental, you can now go rent a unit at a storage facility in that it's same that manner. Easy. Mm-hmm. It's that easy. Got it. Okay. So operational challenges mm-hmm. so what were what did you not know and what did you do to fix those challenges yeah i think uh, understanding that from a marketing standpoint that you got to win the, the game online uh when somebody is looking for storage this is a commodity and so this is 2006 you mm-hmm. figured this out uh yeah this is 2006 and then understood the importance more as i got into uh, the business and mm-hmm. that uh, what it takes to win the game and so it's needs based it's demand based when um, businesses downsize, people downsize, there's trauma, there's transition in people's lives, that's when they begin looking for storage. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't, we don't advertise in a valve pack where there's a coupon and somebody thinks, oh, well, I'll save that coupon for when I need storage, like a haircut or dry cleaning. It's, mm-hmm. It doesn't happen until 
um, somebody actually needs it. So we spend money on the back end understanding um, how it works with regards to ads and being found so that when somebody is looking in a search that we beat our competition um, because we have to answer it. It is they're checking the box to go to take care of this. It, it's more of a, a to do or a mm -hmm. chore for somebody in the house to do this than it is to make a decision of school systems, neighborhoods, things like that. Right. This is Again, something where the wife tells the husband, hey, go figure this out. Uh, usually it's a wife saying, I'm going to get your stuff out of here. And uh, she wants to save <laughs> secure and very quick and check it off her list of busy things to do. Got and it. And she tells her husband to put her stuff in it. And here's the key. Here's where it is. Oh, so she's <laughs> the one that's going out there. Correct. So you know the avatar. Yeah. We do know the avatar. Yep. It's okay. mom who gets stuck with it or um, that uh, role in the household, if you will. Got it. Okay. So uh, it sounds like then this industry is more marketing based mm -hmm. than it is sales based or um, service based. That's correct because it is needs based. And so, yeah, we just need to be uh, found. And now, it, you know, when people do walk into the office or the store, you know, there is an upsell or if mm -hmm. they do happen to call the call center, you know, the sell is um, to reserve a unit or to make an appointment to go in and take a look or to just go into the uh, to the facility and then upsells along the way for the renter's insurance or tenant insurance um, if they need any locks, boxes, moving supplies and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, but that's that's really the extent of the sale. But, you know, as we tell our folks, you know, I mean, they came in there for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, they should never leave. You know, you, not, you need to pry them out of my cold There's a need. There's a need. You know, got it. No one's just like, hey, one day I'm going to get a storage unit. Right. Or I'm just shopping around. They want to check it off the list. So if it got meets it. all those needs, you know, they just want to be done with it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about your journey. So yeah. you get your first one, which you added to, and mm -hmm. second one in 2006, where you, it was a complete full storage. Mm -hmm. What about your next few units? Yeah. So the next, we're, we, we're value-add in anything that we do, which I think most uh, real estate investors are. And so um, value-add comes in two forms. Usually in an existing facility, we're raising rates, we're raising occupancy, you know, adding the marketing where the mom-and-pop owners didn't have it in place. And then if there is additional land on those sites, we always want to be able to expand and add more square footage. So that's one way. With um, development, you know, you start with a piece of dirt or a piece of land and you build value by building the buildings and adding an income stream. So we, the model in the beginning was um, looking at uh, existing facilities, mom and pop traditional sites where they had fallen behind, didn't have the marketing in place, didn't have a website. Um, they were 100% full because, you know, we just want to stay full. We've never raised rates in 10 years, which is always music to our ears. And, uh, we, we, yeah, exactly. So we come in and uh, turn around uh, the management, raise rates, um, add occupancy where there's low occupancy, the marketing. And then if we can add additional units, we do that as well. And then boxes, moving supplies, renter's insurance, and uh, any of those, those other ancillary uh, income streams that we can add. So that was the model for a number of years. Uh, and then we started, uh, yes, uh, looking into development. And uh, that's when we got really good at syndication and bringing in private equity so that we could take on those, some of those larger projects that were coming across our desk in our marketing efforts for, for facilities. Got it. So how did you find your very first deal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very first deal was uh, through a mailer. You know, direct mail still works. Um, you know, number uh, 10 envelope, hand stamped, hand addressed, looks like a letter from mom. And um, a letter in it that's very succinct that says, um, when you're ready to sell, give us a call. Um, you know, we can save you commissions. And uh, whether it's now or in the future, we're flexible. Uh, whatever that looks like, but give us a call. And uh, we would send those out over and over and over again in our market, um, you know, once a quarter until we bought the facility or until they told us to stop or until they died, you know, one, one of the three. So one thing is always fascinating, and this is like totally like a limiting belief on my part, you know, because mm -hmm. we buy houses all the time, mm -hmm. right? But it's curious to me because I think in commercial real estate, all the agents have to be cold callers, right? Mm -hmm. They cut their teeth cold Correct. calling. Correct. And so your competition mm -hmm. is probably another commercial agent yep. that wants mm -hmm. to list that self-storage. Mm -hmm. So how are you winning versus yeah. that guy? Mm -hmm. Uh, we're both out there doing the exact same things. You're right. So uh, the brokers are our competitors, and they are also a funnel for us. Uh, they fill our funnel. So we want our letter to land on the desk of somebody who's considering selling that uh, may not want to or can't pay the commission, and they feel that they can do this uh, on their own. And that's our, our letter says as such, if you want to save yourself commissions and uh, give us a call. Mm -hmm. um, the, the brokers out there doing the exact same thing. I am the king and queen of this city, and I sell more self-storage facilities than anybody else, and I will get you top dollar more than anybody else, and I will vet the people sending you letters. Mm -hmm. I mean, their story is, is you know, anti-us, and ours is anti-brokers. So um, it really depends upon the seller, you know, to yeah. say, I don't want a bunch of looky-loos and answer these letters with a bunch of unqualified folks that I have no idea um, who they are, if they have the wherewithal or go under contract, you know, if they can't perform. 
um, I'll, I'm only going to go with an agent. And the other folks are, as I mentioned, you know, they don't want to spend the money for commission, so they'll, mm -hmm. they'll give it a try. They have time. They're in no hurry. I got this letter. Maybe he'll give me a million dollars more than what I think the facility is worth, and so they'll call us. All right. So at the same time, we're always talking to the brokers and saying, hey, for the stuff that's really difficult and that can't pencil out from an underwriting or can't, it's not bankable and you won't get commission, then give us a call and, and we'll talk about a reduced commission or a flat fee, and uh, they funnel those deals our way as well. Got it. So what percentage of your deals would you say is coming from your own marketing, and what percentage of your deals are coming from uh, commercial agents? Yeah, probably three buckets to be safe. Um, our own marketing is about 20% now. It used to be 80% in the past. Um, but since we started our education company now, a lot of joint ventures come our way. So people bring deals to us. Um, Got it. You know, I speak at the trade shows and we write for Forbes magazine. And so we have a lot of people that know who we are now. And I'd say maybe 10%, uh, 10 to 15% or so are coming from uh, the brokerage uh, community, but they know that we can close. And so yeah. we do get first crack. So a majority of your business is just because you are the guy. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a great place to be. We're, we're in a good position, yeah. Yeah. And I don't take that for granted. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so what were some other challenges moving up? I mean, so you source your first deal, mm -hmm. direct mail piece, second yeah. deal, also direct mail piece? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, uh, you know, at that point, um, then we began, um, a, a lot of the brokers were bringing us uh, deals at, at that point, but we were still um, finding uh, projects uh, on our own from our own direct marketing efforts. Mm -hmm. And then it was about that time when we began to teach. I used to run a real estate investment group in Indianapolis and uh, teaching people about the business. And then at that point, you know, they were going out and finding deals and mm -hmm. they were either too big for them to take down or they had too many deals. And then they brought them to us, which is simultaneously, we, you know, we, we knew that we had to begin learning how to raise private equity or yeah. those opportunities would, you know, fall off the desk. And so- Well, I was gonna go to my next question. So maybe mm -hmm. this is it. Like, you know, what are some major challenges in yeah. starting mm -hmm. self-storage? Cause like, could someone today never done a real estate transaction <clears throat> yet tomorrow start doing self-storage? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the answer is yes. I don't ever want to deter anybody, but uh, also you, you need to begin thinking about building your team. And, and one of those folks on your team is um, most likely somebody, um, a good rich uncle or somebody that uh, a partner that has some, some funds behind mm -hmm. them or can raise private equity. Because with any form of commercial real estate, you know, there's more commas and zeros to be able to purchase it. And so usually people are either one and done or they may not have enough uh, available um, their own funds, so their own equity to put into a project where they have to bring on somebody from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, your challenges then, so you said you had to start seeking private equity. So what was that yeah, like? Yeah. So necessity, otherwise those deals would fall off our desk. And, mm -hmm. and so at that point to um, you know, if the, the time when you need money is, um, you know, usually when people start looking for it and you need to be building your, your private equity list or your treasure trust of uh, mm -hmm. those folks. Um, long before that, and so the biggest challenge was um, when we had these opportunities coming our way, our list wasn't uh, big enough. You know, there, it was truly friends and family. They were saying, "Hey, would you like to be a part of this?" And then uh, navigating through that uh, world with the help of an SEC attorney and uh, and a consultant to, you know, learn what that looks like to make sure that we're safe, and then also what are the norms? You know, what does this yeah. look like, and how to do the splits and all the other things that are involved in the art and science behind raising private equity. So let's just put this in perspective. If you're saying mm -hmm. com more commas and zeros, like, you know, what is a typical self-storage deal look like financially? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'd say for people that are starting out and, and including ourselves, um, the projects that we were looking at were anywhere between, you know, 600,000 to right about 1.2 that seemed to be kind of our sweet spot landing mm -hmm. there. And, and same thing with a lot of our students that we were teaching. So again, we've got, you know, the REITs, the big guys, um, you know, the public storage, U-Haul, extra space, um, you know, they're multi-million dollar gleaming class A self-storage facilities. And then down here are the rural facilities, you know, 10, 15, 20 units out in the middle of nowhere without a lot of activity, a lot of growth or opportunity to create value. Uh, our sweet spot's right in the middle. We, mm -hmm. we play in that sandbox in between the two where it's still the mom and pop owners that aren't very sophisticated that we're going after. And so that's in that you know, 600 to $1.2 million um, you know, project size. So from that standpoint, we're getting 75, 80% LTV loans you know, the, the balance is, um, is the down payment and then bringing in our private equity and doing the math equation to make sure that they were getting the returns that are uh, commensurate to, you know, the risk that they're taking and what's favorable in the market. So typically you're looking for someone to put 20 to 25% down. Correct. Of 600,000 to uh, 1.2. Correct. So just rough numbers, if we're saying a million dollars, you're looking mm -hmm. for someone that is a private equity partner that has 200,000 to 250,000 available to help you 
as a down payment. Yep. In an ideal world, it, we, it would be one person stroking the check, but mm -hmm. in our syndications, it's a multiple people uh, with a $50,000 minimum. So we're setting up a, a, a private placement memorandum, um, a Reg D, 506B or 506C, mm -hmm. and our minimums are typically 50000 for people to come in. So it's yeah. uh, multiple partners that we're coming into these projects. And syndication is a whole nother world. That's a whole different it episode. It certainly is, yes. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about then. What mm -hmm. are some other major challenges along the way to get, I mean, 14,000 doors is not mm -hmm. a, or 14,000 units is not mm -hmm. a small fee. Yeah, well, probably the biggest is, um, and, you know, outside of growth is then how to manage this. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in Indianapolis and, and we're buying facilities now all around the country and that started happening pretty quickly. Um, people were bringing projects to us and, you know, our mantra has always been, well, you know, we can go anywhere because every facility is just as close as our local airport. Mm -hmm. But in reality, you, know, you can't walk the four corners of your business when it's all across the, the country. So you have to have, you know, good lieutenants that are the GCs that are building these, um, uh, the folks that are turning them around or transitioning the management, but then the ongoing management. So mm -hmm. it was really picking good management companies, and that's not very easy to do. At the end of the day, you're giving up management to a third-party property management company. And you and I both know n nobody cares 1% as much about your property, no matter mm -hmm. what it is, as, as you do. So those management companies, um, they are, um, they're in it to for fees. They're not uh -huh. doing it um, you know, not for Not because free. they love you. Not because they love us. And um, so that is, uh, it's not their first and foremost. I mean, they, they do have a reputation, but it's not a maximizing a revenue for the owner like it is on ours. So we, we've had to go through a few some that we trust that we can take nationwide or we know in a certain part of the country you know who we can bring in to manage those facilities but we still have to add a, a layer of management on top of that our asset managers that are driving those management companies to make sure they're hitting their numbers for our investors and for us so potentially mm -hmm. different property managers mm -hmm. or do you call them property managers property management companies property management companies mm -hmm. so you have different multiple different property management companies mm -hmm. in different areas so Correct. not necessarily one nationwide mm -hmm. company no and then one internal mm -hmm. management company to manage all the property management mm -hmm. companies. Yeah, so that's the, that's the challenge in getting everybody on board and understanding it uh, also and maximizing revenue. And there's still enough juice in there. There is if we buy the right deals, but um, uh, again, the, the position that we're in, we get a, a chance to look at some of the sweetest deals out there. So what does the right deal look like? Uh, you know, we need to, going into a project, we need to see that there's at least a 2x um, return on our money within four to five years. That's, mm -hmm. uh, we know going into it, if we buy something for 500000 and we have to put 200000 into it, I need to be selling it for 1.4. That has enough juice in it to be able to get uh, enough, you know, the, the pot of money at the end after that is big mm -hmm. enough to give enough to my equity partners to get them the internal rate of return that they want, and it has to be worth my time for the for what we're putting into it in, in the meantime to get it up to that place in four or five years. So internal rate of return, mm -hmm. let's elaborate on what that means. Sure, so um, a return is a return is a return. So a 2x equity multiple, um, a two times return um, means I'm doubling my money. Mm -hmm. um, the internal rate of return is tied to time. So if I get a 2x uh, multiple or I double my money in two years, that's fantastic, you know, an mm -hmm. IRR of 30, 40%. It takes five to seven years to get that. My internal rate of return is 13, 14, 15%, it's less. Mm -hmm. So the quicker that I can return money to my investors and they can redeploy into another project, um, the more the higher, you know, the more money that their money is actually making for them. If it takes right. longer to do so, they still get their 2X multiple, but they could have been in another project where they could have been continuing to multiply. Yeah, so they could have done their 2X multiple somewhere else faster correct. if you're not properly managing or, or not necessarily buying correctly. That is correct. Got it. Uh, any other major struggles or, or, or points where you're like, what the heck am I doing when you're doing the self-storage journey? Oh, I, I guess again, probably revolves around hiring period, just uh, internal um, staff. I, uh, I I like to think that I'm a good judge of character, mm -hmm. only to find out I'm not. <laughs> so I <laughs> well, you're to, an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, correct. So um, we're yeah. generally lousy judges of character. I think so as well. Yeah. I think so as well. So you know, finding somebody to do the hiring for us in that process. Um, you know, we you know, we learned a lot by going through um, traction and you know deploying the entrepreneur operating system in our business. And uh, still you know, doing that for a number of years before we were introduced to traction. But at the end of the day, hiring on core values, you know, and as Jim Collins puts it, put, you know, getting the right person in the right seat on, on the bus. And so many times, you know, I've deviated away from that thinking, well, that person's a rock star. We'll bring them in and they'll just they'll, they'll catch what we're doing here in mm -hmm. our culture. Only to find out that they're a cancer and my other folks are ready to leave. And, and it's just a broken machine. And 90 days down the road, we're making that hire again. So I think that's probably been the biggest challenge is 
uh, staying true to it and, 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 you know, the times I've deviated away from our core values and knowing uh, that I need to hire on that first and we'll teach the rest. It's amazing how many times we have to learn that lesson sometimes. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. It's like, hey, this, this time we're going to make an exception. Uh -huh. This time yeah. this exception will be okay. And I have to say, it was, a, I mean, I've been at this for a while uh, in real estate since 93 and storage since 05. And mm -hmm. it was uh, really up till just this last year where I feel that we've got a solid core team where everybody is, you know, we're, we're in sync. Yeah. And it's, it's, it feels great when you finally get there. Yes, it does. So if I were today, right, I say, Scott, you know what? Hold my hand. I want to get into self-storage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing you would tell me? You know, there's there's a lot of folks that can do this on their own, but they're usually buying a smaller facility, which means it's difficult to manage, as we mentioned. So uh, because of economies of scale, economies or? of scale, they're going to be self-managing because these management companies they won't take on a self-storage facility unless they're getting um, five to six percent of the revenue coming in, or either two thousand to twenty five hundred roughly um, a month in management fees. Well, some of these smaller fee, uh, facilities that's just over payroll and put those management companies in place. And so finding a, a facility in that size where you can uh, have a management company in place, otherwise trying to do all of that on your own, uh, that's where many people stumble and, and fall. So um, smaller facilities, very difficult to do, but getting into the larger facilities, then that's more commas and zeros and mm -hmm. you know, that limits people to get into the business. and then um, the banks you know they they these days they want to see that you've got some experience not just real estate but they want to see storage experience if oh, not really? then they want you to bring in a partner so it can be a true partner it could be somebody like myself i, I take a small piece of equity in mm -hmm. some of these projects and the llc's to be on the board or part of the general partnership um, in these facilities and so we do that for our students and some of our other joint venture partners so um, i think in the beginning Finding a facility that's large enough to be able to hire a third-party property management company, being able to get into one that size, having the money, and then a partner or the ability to get the banks to say yes to you. So those are, I think, the challenges facing folks that are looking to get into it in the beginning. And if I didn't have money, mm -hmm. or I'm sorry, if I didn't have uh, the private equity partners, mm -hmm. how much would I need to get started? You know, I'd say you probably should be in that $100,000 range to, mm -hmm. to $200,000 range if you want to do it on your own. But then again, your first deal can be a joint venture. You know, you bring right. the deal and you bring some equity and you divvy up the responsibilities. And then again, it's all a math equation and putting together the operating agreements. Here's the roles and responsibilities of the person getting in to begin with versus somebody experienced and, and yeah. what they bring to the table as well. So what would that look like as far as a joint venture? Because I think that's mm -hmm. one... One of the best ways to learn is to have is. someone mentor you and like, hey, don't mm -hmm. do this. This is dumb. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do this, whatever. Like, hey, you're not thinking about this. Yeah. So what does a joint venture look like if someone, if I had a deal, I was like, Scott, you know, let's work on this together. What does that mm -hmm. look like? Well, I would say somebody starting out, um, you know, you're a pretty savvy guy, obviously, <laughs> Steve. And uh, other folks that come to us uh, many times, uh, they'll say, hey, Scott, I found this fantastic deal. Well, first of all, opportunities aren't always deals and so mm -hmm. we'll look at this opportunity and they'll say well I'm, I'm broke uh, my credit is shot I can't do the due diligence because it's two states away and I've never done a deal before so can we do this deal and, and then um, you know in a partnership and split it 50-50 and you bring all the cash and, and the lending and the property management and everything else and to which we say no that's that's more of a that's brokering uh, that, that's brokering that's a wholesale deal you know we'll give you a finder's fee for that yeah uh, but understanding if um, you know you bring money but your credit may be a little dinged or that the bank wants somebody else to come in um, we bring some money in, you know, in a true 50-50 partnership. Um, I bring the management. Um, you can manage the construction because you're located in that town to oversee that. You know, that we divvy up the responsibilities and the capital, and then we understand what the splits are on that end. Mm -hmm. And then the, all, all the way to the other end, some people bring me in. Um, you know, when just the, all the bank needs is somebody in with a little bit of experience that I can provide, and, and that's how I step in at that point. So somebody looking to come in in the beginning, um, most likely uh, if they can do it on their own, fantastic. I can always try to. Uh, until you can't and then look for somebody right. to come in. We also have some folks that, that invest with us um, in our syndications as a passive investor and they'll invest $50,000 to not only come along for the ride, but they learn while they earn in it as well. And yeah. they, they watch our webinars, they get our reports, they understand you know exactly what we're doing in the beginning. They can ask any and every question. They're owners, so they get to go out and fly out, drive out, they get to see it, touch it, feel it, talk yeah. to the management companies and they understand. And then as, as an equity owner, have, even if it's a small amount, then when it comes time for them to do their own, you know, they can, they can you know, stand tall, put their shoulders back and their head up high and talking to bankers and brokers and private equity partners and say, yeah, I'm in the business already. Right. And they are. And then that opens doors and allows them to then get into the first facility on their own without the use of somebody else. So um, I heard you mention earlier, you know, you, you come in as a general partner. So I think before, mm -hmm. we, before I ask my question, 
Can you explain what a general partner is versus also a limited partner? Mm -hmm. So in syndication terms, and when we create the operating agreement, um, you know, the, the limited partner are our equity investors. And so uh, limited in that they're not making any decisions. They're writing the check. They have shares of ownership. Um, and they get to, you know, basically they get to attend the webinars and, and receive the money. And that's mm -hmm. it. You know, they can certainly put input, you know, give input, but they don't have any right or you know, right. ability to influence uh, yeah. that. They get to say, mm -hmm. but they don't have weight. That is correct. That yeah. is correct. Um, now, if things go awry, then they can all get together and there's, you know, a mechanism to remove somebody. But um, yeah. by and large, the general partners then, um, that's the management team. That's the executive level team. Those are the, the, the person or the people that are then calling the shots and driving the direction. And uh, they are given carte blanche, you know, the ability to to drive the, the entire project. Got it. And okay, so then, um, and you are the general partner side. That is correct. And the reason you're the general partner versus limited partner is? Because that's the only way I'll have it. <laughs> I don't need anybody else's input. Yeah. I'm the one with the experience. And right. um, uh, if you muddy things up, um, if there's somebody that comes in on the general partner side, like we said, if there's somebody that's new to the business and they mm -hmm. bring me in, you know, we're making decisions jointly. And right. if there's three of us, you know, there's a way to be able to, you know, a quorum for all decisions. Or if there's two of us, um, you know, there's a way to be able to make decisions. But understanding our roles and responsibilities. But we're the ones driving it. And the limited partners, again, are just along for the ride. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, so if I wanted to have my team, mm -hmm. right, because um, you mentioned that the team is really crucial here. Mm -hmm. What does a team look like if you're running a self-storage ownership company? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Pure ownership um, on that end, it's, a, it's an asset manager, you know, who is making sure that, um, that we're hitting our marks. They're overseeing the property management company, making sure that uh, leasing, uh, the velocity is as we expected and meeting our projections, that we're raising rates at the right amount of time. You know, we have KPIs all across the board for our tenant insurance penetration, our retail sales, and then always keeping an eye on disposition and interest rates and cap rates as to, you know, when we need to uh, exit. So mm -hmm. that's, that's the asset manager's role. In our syndications, there's the, the fund manager, and so the bookkeepers and uh, our investor relations, um, so they're keeping an eye on all the money that comes in, disbursements, distributions going out, doing the bookkeeping on a regular basis, K-1s at the end of the year, and then uh, tax returns, and so they're handling uh, that piece. Um, you know, assistance slash assistance uh, along the way that mm -hmm. assist uh, as well. And then, you know, there's some folks that are internal, but mostly external that um, are going out and sourcing deals um, for us. Um, I have a person that we send uh, all underwriting to on our staff. He bets all deals, runs it through our software because we know the formulas are good yeah. and because uh, we've uh, uh, we've tested them over and over again. And then um, outside of that, uh, HR, you know, the piece that, uh, that we uh, offload as well. Which, right. uh, you know, is certainly hands so off. someone to manage the assets, mm -hmm. someone to go hunt and find more assets, mm -hmm. and someone to take care of the money. Essentially, yep. Got it. All right. Um, why self-storage? Wow. Uh, how much more time do we have? Uh, <laughs> okay, at least half an hour. <laughs> My, uh, uh, you know, I have a, a top 10 that we've used in our, mm -hmm. you know, education side of the business. But really, if, if comparing asset classes, um, it, it does extremely well during a, a recession. You know, it's very recession resistant. It's very inflation resistant. Nothing is recession proof. But as, a, as I got into looking into the business, that's what came up over and over again from the folks that I talked to is that uh, when the economy goes through a turn and, and, a, and a downturn, uh, businesses downsize, individuals downsize if they've lost their job. And uh, if they've given up a housing payment of whatever type for $1,500, $1,600 and they move back home, uh, or they're splitting rent with a friend, there's still some goods that are going to go in storage until mm -hmm. things turn back around for them again. Well, they can afford 100 to 125 a month if their you know total housing number has gone down. Right. Uh, businesses, um, we saw during the pandemic and also during a, the, a recession where they lose their lease or they lose a building, they've got inventory, they've got uh, office furniture, you know, very similar to individuals. They, they put it in storage until things uh, turn back around again. Um, death, divorce, bankruptcy. I mean, we're in the trauma and transition business. Yeah. Uh, baby boomers that are um, aging, they're downsized their homes. Um, they go into assisted living, they downsize again. And then when they pass on, we settle the estate. Several things go into storage again because the kids don't want it in their own house, but they can't get rid of it. So it goes yeah. in, in, into storage. So there's a number of drivers, uh, but it's very, it's solid. It's up and to the right. And then during a recession um, and a pandemic, it's a hockey stick effect. You know, it, during the pandemic, uh, people were sent home from work, so they had to clear out the kitchen, um, a portion of the dining room or a bedroom to work, and then the kids came home from school. Same mm -hmm. thing. Um, so, and and then the businesses that shut down, uh, you know, all of this happened at the same time. It created a huge demand for self storage. 
Uh, we're a, an essential business. We're running these with kiosks, as we uh, talked about earlier. And so we never skipped a beat. You know, all along the way, we're able to service our customers. And so from that standpoint, um, it continues to do very well. It's very solid, and, and it's not affected by the economic uh, cycles. It sounds kind of like um, people that run um, mortuaries. Mm. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There will always be a need. There will always be a need. Yeah. It is a very recession resistant uh, yeah. uh, mortuaries and, uh, and, and the liquor industry in our country, um, you know, are always solid throughout. And then uh, yeah. self-storage are right up there in the top five. Well, they're saying there might be a shortage of liquor. That some, could be a problem. There could be some problems yeah, once we have a shortage of liquor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the supply chain issues, they might running, running two months behind on liquor. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about avatars. Like who, yeah. who are you finding for self-storage? Like how do you, uh, how do you find a person that would be a good candidate or that you just mail everybody all the time? Uh, to, to buy a facility from? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we um, it, we will we have a mailing list that we buy and we continue to scrub then our internal database. And so there's certain markets that we're, we're targeting. And then also as soon as we buy a facility in one, in one market, then we're really hammering that, uh, that same market so we can get more economies of scale and getting more facilities in that location. So when we buy a list or when we have a list, what we scrub out are the REITs. So the public storage, U-Haul, extra space, we're not going to buy the facilities and, yeah. and they're not going to entertain a letter from us. They're always only through a broker. <laughs> so that's, that's wasted. Um, well, not only then, that, I learned that REITs don't need to make money. So it's a really different business yeah, model. It, it truly is. Yeah. The cap rates that they're buying at is nutty, but yeah, yeah, but it works. But the cost of capital is lower than mine as yeah. well. So yeah. So, um, yeah, we continue to send over and over again. And, and even still, some of these facilities are, you know, the, the regional companies or the, um, you know, national companies that aren't a, a REIT, you know, they're buying in bulk. They're buying portfolios. And every once in a while, they'll have a dog that they have to take on. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't match their business model. Um, or it's something they just agreed to, you know, to scoop up and take because the seller had it. And uh, if we are, you know, in that place where we can dispose of that for them and take it off their hands, then, you know, we, we may take that on because that's a business that we're in. We're not, we're not buying turnkey. We're providing the turnkey to somebody yeah. else that wants to buy it along the way. And if it's something that we internally, my company doesn't want, then we've got this entire student mm -hmm. database that, you know, we'll pass it down to them. And, right. and so that's the benefit they have of working with us is that we provide opportunities to them that fall off our plate. Now you said that you're you're buying lists, but mm -hmm. is there like a? I mean, you know, what I can say, if, you know, if I was looking for a distressed homeowner, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. possibly someone that's widowed, or mm -hmm. you know, has re faced recent financial distress. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if you're talking about self storage, are you looking at someone that's like looking to retire, looking to pass off to their kids? Like, who is that? Not not really, because that you know, that's a little tougher data to get. You know, mm -hmm. that's the data that we gather after contacting those folks. So that's kind of our internal database. Um, at the beginning, it's it's truly just a list of self storage facilities of this size. Um, but we don't know the owner because half the time we don't know it's an LLC, and so we're Got having it. to go through and try to pierce the LLC. Uh, pierce is a bad word, but mm -hmm. trying to find the person who owns the LLC, and uh, and send letters to them. If not, you know, then it lands at the facility. But we just continue to do that over and over again until we get a hold of somebody by phone. Um, because a mailer is only as good as a follow-up phone call and then yeah. uh, try to find out the owner and then, hey, are you looking to sell? If so, when? And uh, continue that conversation. But that's how we find out that data. That really isn't out there in any other database other than our own. Yeah. So there's a couple other things I want to talk about before mm -hmm. we open up the questions. Sure. Uh, so you and I met through Collective Genius. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, what? Why are you in Collective Genius? Mm -hmm. And then after that, what's... Talk, we'll talk about the power of masterminds. Sure, sure. So I've been in CG for about five years now. And, uh, and I think, again, speaking to many entrepreneurs out there, you know, my staff, um, I have no staff that's in my city. Um, I don't have an office. Everybody is virtual and they're all around the country. And so somebody to sit back and, and talk about, you know, how do I work on the business? And um, talking with other folks that are in real estate, we're affected by the same trends in self-storage, mm -hmm. but just seeing how other people built their businesses and uh, what they're looking at. Um, so it's more for data gathering, and then also just building a business that is in real estate. Um, I don't learn a lot, per se, in the actual, you know, art and science behind, um, you know, rental houses anymore or apartments or wholesaling or, or wholetailing, you know, that per se. But I can learn an awful lot from folks like yourself and others in there that are doing a lot of transactions and mm -hmm. building a business from a hiring standpoint, from business models, from KPIs. You know, all those things are all the same, and that's just really business in general. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a few sessions that I might skip over, but at the end of the day, the relationships and the things I'm learning from just a pure business standpoint from the individuals in that room is, is key. Has it helped at all with the syndication? 
It truly has, yep, yep, um, in more ways than I had uh, anticipated. So there's some other folks, um, syndicators, yeah. some other folks um, that are running hedge funds that I can run ideas past instead of having to always um, pay for that to maybe not get a 100% truthful answer yeah. um, or the 99%, you know, that everybody gives with the 1% they keep. And, and mm. you know, in, in Collective Genius, it's a little bit different, you know. You sit down and talk with somebody and uh, everybody will divulge because you know, we're all friendly competitors. Right. So that standpoint, some folks that have invested in our projects, which I never would have anticipated as well, but really just how to drill down and, you know, learning from what others have done, other syndicators, everything else that they've tried and that we try, you know, we can come together and just, um, you know, get, collectively get together and see what uh, the pulse of the market is so we can all be better. Yeah. And you run your own mastermind? Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Why should someone join your mastermind? Well, ours, um, you know, of course, everybody's mastermind is different. Ours is strictly self-storage. And um, although we're, we're sharing best business practices um, from the beginning, it was really all about deal flow. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, our mantra is, is deal flow, community, capital, and deal flow. And so we do a lot of joint ventures in there. We share a lot of our equity partners, and, um, and we do learn from each other. But like any mastermind, you know, we're going through life together, business life and personal life. Yeah. And, and again, sharing best business practices uh, on how to get better. But at the end of the day, um, there's a whole lot of folks doing what we do. And uh, if, there's, if, if everybody out there is uh, finding too many deals or too big a deal, then we can pull our resources together and do a lot of joint ventures, a lot of wholesaling, a lot of business uh, with each other. But then also having a, a group of folks together in the self-storage uh, industry that is um, you know, under one umbrella, uh, allows me to, it, it opens a lot of doors for myself and my business to say, I represent this group of folks. And so we get discounts in different areas. Yeah. Uh, we can talk to lenders, you know, it just opens a lot of doors in, in the community when we represent, uh, when we go forth as a representative of the, of the mastermind. Got it. Um, and then what I'm also really fascinated by mm -hmm. is the fact that you love traveling to build houses. Yeah, we do. Let's talk about that. Well, um, as a matter of fact, I just got back from Mexico. Um, our yeah. family did. We took uh, 45 people down to Ensenada, Mexico. It's about an hour and a half south of Tijuana. And uh, we partner with a, an organization called uh, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and their Homes of Hope organization. And um, for the past, well, since 2013, we've been uh, building houses and uh, giving them away and taking uh, those 45 people, those are all friends, family, coworkers, um, staff folks, um, our students, joint venture partners, uh, basically anybody that wants to go on one of these short-term, family-friendly, four-day mission trips with us and build a house in, in two of those four yeah. days, we'll, we'll pay for it. Uh, all you need to do is get to San Diego. But there's got to be a purpose behind it. I mean, you didn't just one day decide, I'm going to start building mm -hmm. houses in Mexico. Yeah. Well, there's, a, I think, hopefully, a, a greater purpose in, uh, in all of us. Um, mm -hmm. I get into real estate because we wanted to have some free time and uh, some available cash to go do fun things. And then mm -hmm. when uh, I got married and we had kids, we wanted real estate to be the vehicle that allowed us to raise our kids and to be able to homeschool and travel and be on the mission field. And so it was a combination of that and just uh, being obedient and, and then tithing 10% of our profits in our, in our real estate businesses that allowed us uh, to be able to, to give back and yeah. take people on and just leverage uh, that by having these entrepreneurs come down, get a sense of it, and then they can go forth and, and do the same. But, you I mean, you're going the extra mile, though, right? I mean, mm -hmm. like, a lot of people, the shortcut mm -hmm. is I'll just donate money, and I yeah. feel good about it, Yeah. right? Then there's, like, I'm going to go donate my time. Mm -hmm. And then there's I'm going to lead a group of people yeah. <laughs> to go do this. Mm -hmm. There has to be some other additional... Yeah. Thing well, behind it, I think we recognize as a, a, a good friend of uh, both of ours uh, has mentioned with God's um, blessing comes responsibility, mm -hmm. and um, he has had his favor on our business, and we have a responsibility, and it's not to, um, uh, you know, crush it and buy an island or have a Ferrari or anything else, but yeah. we measure things in terms of houses, and we know how much it takes uh, to build a house, and when we have that, we can take on more people to give them that experience uh, to end generational poverty one family uh, at a time, but then also we recognize the influence that we have yeah. um, doing this. Right. Speaking from stages and, and teaching and, and having a voice and writing and doing those things that um, that um, you know we can change the world just a little bit, yeah. and um, and so with that um, that that excites me more than uh, anything else. And um, having that open hand, um, God allows more to flow through it, and our business is uh, flourished as a result. So long as we keep giving um, a, a good portion of it uh, back and showing others how to do it as well, uh, there's a ripple effect and it's multiplying. That's awesome. Uh, so on Reddit. Mm -hmm. uh, can you ask him how you can find viable deals in today in tremendously compressed cap rate markets? 
Yeah, well, I think um, you, you know that it's a tremendously c uh, compressed cap rate because you're looking at listings <laughs> <laughs> by brokers, and, and we don't. Um, our brokers bring projects to us, but they know what uh, we're looking for and what not to, and that comes from, again, beating them to the punch, and it's, it's the mailers. It's sending out mailers. It's pulling on doors, opening up the doors to these facilities, talking to the person behind the desk. Sometimes it's the owner. Sometimes it's the property manager uh, that can give you access to the owner and having a discussion with them to say, hey, we'd like to buy your facility when it's time to do so, and working out a price between them, uh, between you and, and the seller uh, directly yeah. versus something that has a bunch of eyeballs on it in a crazy market where they know that they can get a, a lower cap rate. So what is a typical cap rate? I mean, it's kind of a weird answer because it's nationwide, uh, it differs. Correct. Yeah, yeah. But generally speaking, mm -hmm. what is a typical cap rate you see from a broker, and what's the typical mm -hmm. cap rate that you buy at? Yeah, and and uh, layer on top of that, Class A, Class B, Class C, you know, right. so the Class A facilities, as we mentioned, you know, crazy compressed cap rates, you know, their cost of capital is zero, you know, mm -hmm. it's cash, or 2% from their credit lines, and so they can buy at a four or five cap. Uh, we're seeing a lot of these, um, you know, Class A facilities, you know, all things being equal, saying stabilized, 75, 80%, uh, 85%, um, you know, say right around a five cap or below mm -hmm. that if it's stabilized. Um, we're, we're selling and we've seen uh, these facilities trade, um, you know, we develop these facilities and, and some of ours have been trading when they sell at, at certificate of occupancy, meaning it's been built, we haven't rented one, un rented one unit yet, and a REIT will come by and buy that facility um, based upon uh, the future cash flow and give us a, a six to six and a half cap on the future NOI. 100% pro forma. 100% pro forma, yeah, because they know. I mean, they've got our feasibility study and everything well, else. Well, they got the data. They, it, and they got the data on it, yep. yeah. So all that aside, um, let's say it's a stabilized facility, you know, in a, in a top MSA, class A, you know, five, sub five in some cases, mm -hmm. whereas um, a class B facility, so it's outside at the MSA a little bit, single story, maybe some climate control, maybe not climate control, not the savviest manager, a little older facility, a little bit of maintenance, you know, that's trading in that um, probably 6% range, 7% uh, mm -hmm. range, and then 7% and above. If it's a rural, you know, the further out you go, deferred maintenance, um, first generation property maybe has a lot of five by fives, which aren't really in favor much anymore. No website, um, you know, no, no temperature control, maybe yeah. no gravel, no fence, no, you know, no nothing, you know, and you're kind of starting from scratch. Man, it sounds like these are better returns than apartments yeah it is um you know, we've seen and it less headache over the past uh, 25 years um self-storage average annual returns has been right around 16.85 percent and you know re percent return mm -hmm. um multifamily is about 12.9 uh, office is just a little over 12 and retail is just a little over 12 and the s p is seven percent mm -hmm. so you know, we would rather be, you know, that fish in the pond, which, you know, it's a smaller pond, a smaller amount of uh, people fishing in it. And um, in this unsexy, unglamorous um, self-storage business of 10 by 10 metal boxes on concrete mm -hmm. slabs. But, you know, it's out outperforming the rest of the market by multiple um, basis points. The math works really well. The math works really well. Yeah. Uh, Tony that's York. that's the sexy part. Yeah. <laughs> that has to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, no one's taking pictures on Instagram yeah. of their storage. <laughs> Except me. <laughs> uh, what are the core, uh, Tony York is asking, mm -hmm. what are your core values? Oh gosh, Tony, I think uh, first and foremost, uh, call it a core value, but you know, we really just don't know how to do it any other way. And it's just having integrity and making sure that everybody on our, our staff is operating from that standpoint as well, mm -hmm. going back to that. And that's tough to snuff out um, again in, in an interview process, but uh, first, you know, if we ever catch wind of that, uh, that's it. Um, this is a marathon for us. It's not a sprint. And um, if I were to do anything that is uh, improper, somebody's going to find it eventually. And oh, yeah. in today's world of social media transparency, that's it. My education business goes away. My investment business goes away. My syndication business certainly goes away. And that's the fuel for anything and everything. So um, ignorance is not an excuse uh, by saying, well, I just didn't know. Um, you know, if you're doing something unscrupulous uh, and not operating from a place of integrity, then that's one of them. Uh, we put customers' profits, um, our clients' profits at all levels in our education business, certainly our investor business, and anybody that we deal with um, over profit. So their profits come first before ours. Um, you know, leaders eat last. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we just we live and breathe that. So at the end of the day, um, we are in it um, for the long haul and to do good by everybody that we serve. Got it. And then uh, Eddie uh, on Facebook wants to know, do you focus more on building brand new storage units mm -hmm. on raw land or on investing in value-add opportunities? 
Yeah, we'll, we'll take them all, um, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, in the, in the past two or three years, it's been difficult. You know, the word is out. You know, Wall Street is uh, attracted to self-storage because of the, the stats that I just shared with you. Mm -hmm. Hedge funds um, are, are, are after self-storage and being created to go after self-storage uh, as well. And um, so w for that reason, we've had a lot of folks um, that are uh, getting into the business, looking for existing facilities and, and driving some prices up. Um, it's a little more difficult at the development level for lenders, private equity partners, and all those, uh, you know, to put together a development project. So we've shifted, uh, and because literally for the past three to four years, we've still been behind in terms of development of self-storage facilities and units across the country. There's been pent-up demand since the last recession. So we shifted into, you know, once we continue to grow our, our syndication database, then we began going after development projects. But we just started a fund, uh, a $25 million fund that's um, targeting nothing but existing facilities and acquisitions. And, you know, we saw, we learned uh, the lessons from the past two recessions. And mm -hmm. uh, I wish I had more equity from the last recession because there's a lot of folks that did get into it early on that um, weren't able to refinance when things turned during that recession. Yeah. And uh, they didn't create value and they had to give their keys back to the bank. Well, this time around, we want to buy them before they go back to the bank. So that's, that's our focus now along with development. Gotcha. Um, and... M. Smolensky, uh, as someone starting out, uh, what should my first major purpose or move be after I make my first wholesale deal? Hmm. After you make your first wholesale deal, well, hmm. I think that we kind of mentioned that uh, M, and that is uh, to look to either bring in a, in a partner, do a joint venture with somebody, or perhaps um, if you have gained enough money from that first wholesale deal to get into a syndication, invest passively in um, somebody's uh, either a REIT or a syndication and learn about the business uh, before you dive in. Either way, yeah. uh, it's probably a partnership or a syndication or something along those lines before you uh, dive in 100%. And it sounded like uh, if someone invested in your syndication, mm -hmm. they get to look at all the numbers and learn the process. Correct. Yeah, we, we set up, a, we have a portal and um, everything goes in, all our due diligence. Uh, they have access to all, all the folders. Um, they can pull down a number of documents. Some of them are read-only, but then we, we kind of go the extra mile and uh, mm -hmm. we, we do webinars on a regular basis because we come from an education standpoint. Yeah. And so on a quarterly basis, we're doing webinars uh, to teach our folks about the biz as well. So it sounds like, you know, I could take a large chunk of cash mm -hmm. and invest it in a course, mm -hmm. or I can just invest it in your syndication and get a return on that money while learning. Mm -hmm. And I would say both, and I'm, and I'm not trying to get everybody's money on both sides, but yeah. um, you know, in order to do business with us, you probably should do business with us. Meaning mm -hmm. if you're gonna invest with us on the syndication side, you should educate yourself on the industry. So whether you get my course or learn from our website or the free resources and tools, uh, it's great to, to attend one of our webinars mm -hmm. um, and see the figures, the facts and the figures on the upside. But if you don't know what that means, or if you can't really grasp it, you don't really know if it's a good thing or not. You know just by judging my face on a webinar and, and how excited I get, you might think that's the case, but is it really? Mm -hmm. So you really should understand the asset class. And, you know, our investors, I mean, we we stress, um, you know, put these deals to the test, put us to the test, follow us for four, five, six months, um, a year, um, and look at the deals that come out, look at our track record, how we're not only, uh, I mean, there's a whole lot of folks out there, Steve, you know, right now with a uh, wind in their sails, they've had a good economy and they're really good at raising private capital, but they haven't been around many mm -hmm. as long as us, where we, we've bought, we've developed, we've created value, we've exited mm -hmm. and we've made those returns. We've meet or beat our projections. You know, that's, that's a small group um, at, the, at the top uh, that has had, had that yeah. type of success that you can point to. I haven't done this as long as you have, but mm -hmm. I did make it through, you know, mm -hmm. the 2007, 2009 recession. Yep. So I can't say that um, I know everything, mm -hmm. but I can tell you that I got to see. <laughs> that is one heck of an education for how those things, of us that survived through yeah, it. Yeah, how things go down mm -hmm. in, the, in the bad times. Mm -hmm. um, and then Jeremy wants to, well, first he says Happy Thanksgiving. Um, happy Thanksgiving. If you had to start over, what would you do differently mm -hmm. to fast track to where you are now? Yeah, I think early on, um, I don't know if everybody else suffers from this like I do as an entrepreneur. Um, I just wanted to do it all myself. You mm -hmm. know, I, I kind of wanted the limelight a little bit, uh, I guess a little bit of pride, a little bit of ego and didn't want to, I, I, that's kind of the way I operated my whole life and I just wanted to do it on my own, not bring in partners. Um, and so I probably hesitated, waited too long. Um, I had a mentor of mine many, many years ago with gray hair who said, I don't know why you wouldn't do 
everything with a partner. He said, I never would have gotten to the place that I was if I hadn't begun partnering from my very first deal and from the capitals, the spreading of risk, mm-hmm. you know, the intellectual capital of having uh, partners come in. Um, there's no way that I ever would have had the success I had had I not brought um, partners in. And so that was right about the time when I realized that, uh, okay, and after having one small partnership that just didn't go very well, you know, yeah. we were friends uh, <laughs> when we started, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and it's just a small little deal on a house and realizing, I don't think I want to, you know, risk that anymore. But then understanding, you know, when we get into the syndication side or even in joint ventures that just, again, picking the right person, sticking to your core values, um, it is a marriage. And then for your limited partners, that doesn't have to be a marriage. You know, we just limit their voices and mm-hmm. they can come along and write a check and, and come along with us. I don't have to like them to, to do business with them at that standpoint, but they just have to understand who we are and what we're all about and, and get on board with what we're doing. And so recognizing that um, picking the right people as, uh, as partners on the GP side, but mm-hmm. then having limited partners that are at arm's length, that freed me up just knowing that, uh, freed me up to then just um, open the floodgates and, and go into more joint ventures and other partnerships. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I look back on mm-hmm. is I always operated initially on the scarcity mindset. Yep. Like mm-hmm. if I tell Scott this, mm-hmm. He's gonna beat me in this game. And then I learned, took way too long to figure this out. Mm-hmm. If I compare notes with Scott, we both learn faster. Right, yeah. And most of those people aren't gonna go out and do it either. That, right, you know, you're, you're there's that of. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so great point. Um, so I don't see any other questions at the moment, so we'll uh, keep tuning into that. Mm-hmm. So what, um, I guess, what is your purpose? I know we kind of talked about for building houses, mm-hmm. but what keeps you going? There there are days where we get punched in the mouth, right? Mm-hmm. There, I mean, there was that whole, you know, toilet mm-hmm. paper crisis last mm-hmm. year. Like, mm-hmm. what keeps you going mm-hmm. when things get tough? Yeah, well, I think it is that we recognize our purpose and uh, we recognize our responsibility. And um, our goals now are more measured in the, the amount of houses that we build and the lives impacted and the people that we bring on our trips. And we're doing two trips a year now, building three mm-hmm. houses each. And um, the goal at some point is probably to uh, flip the, you know, the, the script and spend uh, 80% of my time on the mission field and taking people doing that and 20% in the business just kind of, you know, overseeing it uh, at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I have a feeling learning what I did in the last two recessions that uh, this next one, when it ever happens, um, that'll be our, our last land grab. Mm-hmm. And so for that five to six year period, you know, we'll be buying a lot, developing a lot, and then exiting on the upside again on, on, the, on the bottom of the bell curve yeah. uh, on that one and then um, sail off into the sunset, so they speak, but sail off onto the mission field. So knowing now, you know, the grind, um, as long as I got air in my lungs and I have the ability to do this, we'll continue to do so because now, um, you know, there's, there's, um, I have staff. Um, that uh, are supporting their families and we have people yeah. that are waiting for houses and uh, the better that we do you know our our success is somebody else's miracle yeah that was a big one of the best lines I heard from the last Mr. CG. Jeff Hoffman yeah, yeah. Mr. Jeff Hoffman mm-hmm. was crazy uh, what is your biggest struggle right now we talked about you know there's mm-hmm. the human capital component and sure it sounds like you've got that mostly figured mm-hmm. out so what's your biggest struggle mm-hmm. today yeah, I think still playing traffic cop. Um, you know, I have a yes Tourette's uh, syndrome, and uh, no offense to anybody who has Tourette's syndrome, but I say yes to everything. So a deal comes across my desk, and I just want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it is a deal, I mean, we vet it, and you know, my underwriter comes back, and I, I still have to recognize that uh, there are limitations. There's limitations mm-hmm. to the amount of time that I have, and uh, even though I've got good lieutenants, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's still. I mean, you're the face of the business, and there's stuff you have to do. There's stuff yeah. at the top of the business that I have to do, and uh, and, and we still bottleneck is, in one way or another. Yep, and I am the bottleneck, and. That's, um, you know, we're getting crowded up there. And so just understanding what that looks like and um, uh, being able to being just saying no and uh, recognizing that, you know, that that time I, you know, we, we just got back from Mexico. We were on the mission field there and I was in, in California and in Seattle before that. And I slept in my bed um, two nights um, over the past 30 days, which is uncommon. Um, but that's uh, even though I love what I do and for the purpose that we have. Um, probably can't keep uh, continuing uh, to do that at my age. And so uh, just uh, needing to slow down and, and say no to some projects, even yeah. if they are good. Yeah, it's tough, right? Because mm-hmm. the when we first start, there's no opportunities, right? And we're just like, man, if we could just get one transaction, one deal, one property, mm-hmm. and you get to a point where like there's so much opportunity. How do you properly filter? How do you say no to keep your sanity? Yeah. So and what 
are you doing yeah, <laughs> to well, say no you know, to keep your sanity? And, and that pain from not having opportunities or even you know struggling financially in the beginning of uh, starting your own business is still there. And so mm-hmm. I think there's a piece of that that, that has me tethered to, to do that. So um, I think right now it's uh, it's my wife speaking into one of my ears, <laughs> saying, "Okay, th- th- this is enough." But yeah. you know, I, I, um, I it was almost an intervention uh, many many years ago. I went through Dan Sullivan's Strategic Coach, and Great program. Uh, oh my gosh, incredible program! And you know, you, you outline, you you start baby steps. You know, when mm-hmm. you when you check out at five or six o'clock at night, you check out, you're done, nothing mm-hmm. going back to, you. and then your weekends, and then you schedule your vacations ahead of time. Otherwise, you know, twenty four seven, three sixty five, well, it, it won't fit it. in anywhere. It won't fit in. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's just having that mindset, and I and I did put those uh, those you know those parameters in, in place, those boundaries and those guardrails, and, and I stick to that. Um, there's the emails that pile up, and there's things that, that that you know begin to pile up, and people that are upset with me because uh, I'm not getting back to them. But um, I'm thankful um, that I put those in. Otherwise, uh, it wouldn't be back to twenty four seven three sixty. I do know that pain. There are people mm-hmm. that are upset that I haven't got back to their yeah. emails. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when did you go through strategic coach? Oh gosh, that was probably back in two thousand and seven, I think. Yeah, about two thousand six, oh, two thousand seven. Huh? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I went through. Mm-hmm. I want to say in two thousand seventeen through eighteen. Mm-hmm. And that was when I was going through it because it was four times a year. I don't know if it's still the way it is. I, I don't know if it is either, but that's what I was doing four times yeah, a year, driving to Chicago and meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was like, okay, I'm done traveling. I'm not traveling anymore. And then, you know, whatever you say, it doesn't matter if you say I'm going to travel less. You say mm-hmm. the word travel. Mm-hmm. Travel's gone up. Yep. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. What is your superpower? Oh gosh, um, I would I would have to say it, it probably is uh, the ability now, believe it or not, um, you know, to to say no and be o- okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that comes preparation and building a team uh, around me. So we got the team in place, and um, just uh, staying staying true to that, knowing that I do have limitations. Um, my family comes first. Uh, our mission comes first. And um, having put that in place, um, I guess it's most fresh in my mind because again, as we mentioned at the top of this, uh, you know, within this past year. You know, we got to the place where we built a rock solid team now, and yeah. um, and now we're teaching and showing other people how to do that within our mastermind and our education businesses. And uh, I think we got it figured out. Awesome. What's the greatest lesson you've learned? <laughs> um, I, I think um, not over leveraging. Uh, if I go about, back to the very beginning stages, um, you know, even though everything was uh, going well, nobody ever thought Lehman Brothers would you know fall and uh, we would head into the recession, and we thought, mm-hmm. well, that'll never happen again like that. And all of a sudden. Um, you know, the pandemic hits and we have a lockdown and all of a sudden we went off the cliff again, but this mm-hmm. time I wasn't over leveraged. And so that was probably the greatest lesson is, uh, not to get in that place again, where I am susceptible to anything out of my power occurring in the economy. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because at that time, every book I read was leverage, 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 right? Mm-hmm. If you put mm-hmm. 10% down, but the property doubles mm-hmm. in value, right? It's a 20 X uh, return yep. or mm-hmm. whatever. Yep. And, um, what I got to learn during the recession was how real wealth operated. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's the right way, but getting these proof of funds mm-hmm. of millions of dollars, mm-hmm. right? I had one client with 18 million. I'm getting mm-hmm. stuff from Blackstone for 865 mm-hmm. million in the mm-hmm. proof of funds. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. this is how really wealthy people yeah, operate. Correct. It's not the mm-hmm. maximize your leverage. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, all we need to do is follow the model, the playbooks out there from the big guys, as you yeah. just mentioned. Right, and that's kind of like Warren, what Warren Buffett says. Are you guys are distracted by this and that? Like, mm-hmm. here's what works, and that's how he built his entire. <laughs> yeah, he says if I don't understand it, I won't invest in it. And uh, I think more people should do their due diligence before they do so. Yeah. Uh, and is there a book you've gifted more than any other? I'd have to say right now it's traction. Um, we've given that out uh, to more business owners and um, budding entrepreneurs and anything else. Um, you know, if it isn't traction, they need to figure out that they need to have a system to run their business. Otherwise, mm-hmm. uh, the business is going to run them. Yeah, and uh, I'm actually sending um, Jaden on my team to Empire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's actually going to be in a couple of weeks in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited because we run everything on traction now. Yep. Uh, but I'm really excited to see what Eddie Wilson and, and Gary mm-hmm. Harper have in for yeah. us. Yeah, those guys got it down. They do know what they're talking mm-hmm. about. So uh, let's see here. Um, sorry. You think eventually I figure out how to do this. All right, so I don't see any more questions. So I want you mm-hmm. to think about some, what you want to leave the listeners with? What do you want them to walk away with? Mm-hmm. All right, some last thoughts. I'm going to make a couple of quick announcements. Sure. Guys, if you get value today, please like, subscribe, share, or comment. You know, uh, the more we tell the algorithms that this is quality content, the more people can actually reach. So please help us reach other people. And then we do have our all day sales training coming up on December 10th, where we talk about our sales process from the first time we talked to the homeowner until we actually close the contract. 
how we were able to buy more houses. You know, hundreds of people have entrusted us to help them. Love to help you as well. And we do have our Black Friday special coming up. We'll be announcing it tomorrow. Do stay tuned. And next week, we got Robert Wensley with InvestorLift. He's going to be talking about his adventure and how he was able to uh, launch that um, amazing program. So what are the last thoughts you'd like to leave everyone with? Yeah, I think um, ultimately I find myself as an encourager uh, only because I think there's so much negativity out there. Um, and there's a whole lot of folks. I learned from Jim Rohn many, many years ago. He talked about, um, you know, if you've got a whole bunch of people that are dragging you down and they don't want you to succeed, then you need to, you need to, you know, weed the garden. Yeah. And, um, you know, get rid of those um, friends uh, that aren't lifting you up and encouraging you and cheering you on because all they want to do is make, feel better about themselves by tearing you down and uh, not Subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Not intentionally. Not intentionally. But they are doing it. Yep. And, and putting those seeds of doubt in to make mm-hmm. you think twice about going out and doing that because then what would happen with them if you're up here and they're still down here? So I, I would just encourage you, um, it, you know, if you're looking to go out and, and get started in real estate in the business and continue to plug along you know, flex that wrist muscle and understand that there's going to be, you're going to be told no a lot. I mean, entrepreneurs and real estate investors, we get told no a lot. And so (laughs) get used to that. But uh, every no is closer to a yes. That's just not a cliche. Mm -hmm. Um, But get the help, you know, get uh, if there's if there is a roadblock, um, there's probably somebody that has an answer. Um, And if you continue to get to hit those roadblocks, then, you know, for me and just uh, where I come from in my faith, and I realize that there's somebody on the other side of that door pushing back, and I probably shouldn't you know, bowl or, or run through that door, um, it's probably, I'm, I'm being saved from um, probably a mess. And so it's mm-hmm. a knowing how how hard to push, you know, how far to take something before saying no, but not giving up too soon and, and, and succumbing to your own insecurities or doubt or the doubt that other people are putting in your mind. That's that serenity prayer. That's the serenity prayer, 100%. Yeah. Uh, how can someone get a hold of you? Best way is uh, all things self-storage is at uh, selfstorageinvesting.com. That's got my contact information. And for those that are looking to learn more about the business, uh, we have lots of free resources and white papers, um, data on the industry, enough to get you excited, enough to get you started, and then certainly the other resources if you want to dig in a little bit further. Yeah, and I'm excited because my team wants to talk to you about some opportunities. So I'm excited to just kind of be a fly on the wall to see how this goes with our team. I'm excited to learn about more opportunities that your team has. (laughs) All right, awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you guys for watching.